everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you've been able to get out in the woods and do a little bit of hunting already this season. We certainly have been out in the field grinding it out quite a bit. We started around August 20th in Montana where we had a successful pronghorn hunt and then we had a group in Wyoming and a group in North Dakota hunting whitetails for the beginning of the month. And moving forward, we got a group in Kansas hunting whitetails. I'm gonna be going to the Elk Woods filming our buddy Grant McCrab and hopefully getting a chance to hunt myself. But if you've been keeping up with our YouTube channel, we just got done posting our archery elk series from last season. I've seen some questions in the comments asking if that was from this season or last season. It was from last season. We've done that with all of our elk series in the past. We've saved them for an entire year because generally there's a lot more footage to sort through. There's a lot more cameras and in general, they're running more throughout the day just because elk hunting typically has a lot more action throughout the day because it's a rut hunt. For the last few weeks, we've been putting a bunch of effort into those. So we really appreciate all the support and all the kind comments talking about those series. Tonight, we're actually posting the second video from Ted's rifle elk hunt. It's gonna be an awesome episode. I'm really excited for you guys to watch that and again i can't thank everybody enough for all the support because if it wasn't for you guys watching these videos we wouldn't be able to go out and have these fun adventures and bring you guys videos every week as deer seasons are opening up across the country you might find some value in subscribing to our deer school if you go to our website thehuntingpublic.com you'll see deer school in the drop down menu on the left side of your screen we created deer school to share what we've learned hunting public land across the country for the last five years or so we got a bunch of exclusive content on there, so stuff that has never been seen on our YouTube channel, you can watch on our Deer School. Speaking of things that we've learned over the years hunting public land, in this episode we're going to be talking about the timing and progression of a stalk. Every situation's a little bit different, so in this episode, Jake, Nick, and I are talking about some situations where we've spotted shooter bucks and the moves we make throughout the day to get in range of those bucks there's always the opportunity to spot a buck and make a stalk on him. So hopefully you can learn something from this episode and apply it to your tactics this fall. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild is a free social media community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. All you got to do is visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, let's talk with Nick and Jake about stalking bucks. We're going to be talking about timing of stalks and when to make the move i think is choosing be when to strike yeah i don't know exactly how how we'll have the title of this but and, <laughs> and i don't know exactly which direction it'll go necessarily but we 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 generally will have a topic and then we just go from there so when you guys think of like the ideal spot and stalk situation talk about the progression that you see you know being that perfect opportunity i guess what's it generally look like i think it looks like that one you killed in north dakota or that one i wounded in south dakota where you can just like you're above them and you can see them exactly where they're at mm -hmm. the wind's not going to be funky down in there it's just like you got good winds where you know you don't have to worry about it swirling around and mm -hmm. it's 
it's pretty easy to pick your approach, especially in like those situations too, that we, I mean, it's pretty common where deer just bed down where they just can't see anything mm-hmm. and you can just pretty easily get within range of them. And then it's just a matter of, you know, trying not to let them see you when they get on their feet or, you know, mm-hmm. get drawn on them. I think. Nick? Um, I think another good scenario is just the one that me and Jake got in the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, once we knew, let me backtrack, once we knew exactly where a buck was, we knew the vicinity they were in, but once we knew for sure where the first one was, making the move, like getting in the position we were in, having that ditch to, to parallel this deer and knowing from Jake glassing him that morning or the, the evening before, knowing that they were going to go to this more than likely toward this patch mm-hmm. of flowers that was like our landmark to go to. Then once we saw that buck, we, in hindsight, should have been moving to cut him off going to that point. Mm-hmm. And basically what you're saying there too is like you've got a spot, like like what Jake's saying, Jake's saying, you know, spot one, know exactly where he is, make the move all the way to him. You're saying get in the vicinity not mm-hmm. knowing exactly where they are, but being in a position where you can make moves based off of what they're doing. And I it sounds this, like that's yeah. what Warb just did on that yeah. one he shot in Wyoming. And it's mm-hmm. it's the same thing that I did that one I shot in North Dakota. He was in a canola field where he just couldn't see anything. So we were able to move along with him until he popped out of, like he had to get out of that field in order for us to shoot him. But it's the same thing as when we were working along that levee, Nick. I mean, there was a lot more that was terrain instead of him being in a field but yeah mm-hmm. just having a place where we could move without being detected i mean yep. that, that buck in iowa a couple of years ago where we run up the creek and get a shot at him it's the same type of mm-hmm. deal mm-hmm. just yeah. getting to a spot where you can observe just because the deer aren't going to take the same at least in, in certain areas they're not going to take the same trail every single day you know mm-hmm. so you just have to be able to i mean if you can just move with them that in the real time i think you you take the guesswork out of it yeah i think when when i think of like the perfect spot and stalk situation i always like to pick vantage points so this is this is kind of backtracking to that original like plan even the planning to get into that position so i'll be looking at areas that you know we can hunt and i'll be picking two things generally a water source or a habitat type and and i say water source because generally the habitat type that i'm looking for is around water and then and and that goes for just about anywhere honestly there's a lot of times you're starting at water source and that creates diversity therefore you're expecting to see deer there and then you're picking a vantage point or a, a series of vantage points that you can work down and continue to glass into different angles because when you think of like some spot and stock situations, it's as simple as like showing up to that vantage point, throwing glass up, and it's so open, it's like, oh, there they are, or and they're not there, and you know that in a matter of minutes. But there's other situations where you got to sit there and you got to kind of pick it apart, and you know, I guess again speaking on that progression of the stock, it's like something that I've been curious about when talking to other spot and stock hunters, and I was talking to you about it last night, Jake, as we were walking in, is is it, you know, and I, th- I think it just really comes down to every situation is different, but is your style, 
again, I'm talking to other people that do this, is your style to get to a spot and pick it apart and be super, you know, particular about looking under every bush, looking for tine, looking for an ear moving, or is it to quickly glass things, you know, maybe give it an hour or so and then keep moving. And I think it, it depends, but, you know, what I like to do even in that planning stage is have multiple spots that I pin on my map as like the glassing icon. Like this is a glassing point. A lot of times I'm just looking for a knob or like a cliff or a lot of times when you're around like a river bottom or a creek bottom or something, there's generally some sort of quick drop into those areas. And really just looking at the map, looking at the topo for that is like the very first step that I like to think of in the perfect stalking situation. You have those planned out prior. You know what angles you're going to be able to see into certain places. And then if that doesn't work, you get your plan B and C, you know, to continue to work through. And you're glassing into different angles. And then I think when I think of, again, the perfect situation is you lay eyes on something that you want to pursue. You know that you're going to make a move at some point you let him kind of do his thing especially if you can read that he's kind of set up and he's staging up and then he starts to bed down and you know exactly where he is now you've got time to make a decision on how your approach is going to look you know how to get the wind in your favor different goals to you know get to and potentially get eyes on him again or you know be within bow range you're picking all those things out first or you know once you've got eyes on them and another thing that we started doing kind of as a group pretty much every single time now is really taking note of like landmarks but to confirm those landmarks taking pictures uh-huh. and then the phone scope thing really helps too like we film everything because we're obviously videoing hunts but like anybody could buy a phone scope yeah for their... these they make all sorts of different digi scoping stuff now that's like real good and i, I mean I, I told all my buddies just like just get it i mean it, they're they're super cheap and then you're always going to have that for yourself and i mean kind of selfishly i want to know what they're seeing too because <laughs> yeah. like you can try to explain it as well as you want but if you got a video i'm much more interested in seeing that so this this mag view one that we've been using is pretty sweet the phone scopes work well and then this oh i mean there's three different kinds now that they're all relatively affordable so and that's the o'neill's <laughs> i think it's olin's, olin's Ol- yeah. he runs olin's he's a big digiscoper jake <laughs> yeah. he, he digiscopes I mean, a lot if i had to if i had to support a company that was doing digiscoping it'd be olin's they <laughs> <laughs> got it figured out Jake, Jake really likes it, and I'm probably not even pronouncing it right. <laughs> but I could, I couldn't remember what it was called, so I kept calling it O'Neill. So there's the inside joke there. And that's all I could ever remember is O'Neill. So I think something too that is uh, probably more, at least for me, specific to this time of year. Uh, talking about just like when to strike. If we're somewhere in the middle of November and we watch something lay down, we're probably not going to just like say, no, oh, maybe they'll be in a better spot tomorrow where we can get at them better, you know, because they might just be 15 miles away tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But this time of year, it seems like if you find a deer or a pocket of deer, you can, if, if you got a good vantage point, if you see them one day and they're not in a great spot, you can kind of just let them 
you know, keep doing their thing and mm-hmm. maybe they'll put themselves in a, in a worse spot tomorrow yeah. or, you know, some point throughout the trip. And that's something we do quite a bit of, I'd say. Especially early season all the way until, you know, think, you know, patterns start to really break. Once yeah. Bucks start and then cruising. I'd say again, like during the late season, if they get on a, a certain feed pattern or something, that's another thing that's a good option to mm-hmm. keep in mind. But definitely not like during like the lockdown stage of the rut or something where I, I wouldn't really expect to see a buck in the same area two days in a row, really. Yeah, and I, I think that that was kind of the next step that I was going to say. For you know, there's there's a lot of different ways that a stalk can look and like one thing that we've dealt with here in North Dakota quite a bit and and other states as well is you get the visual so you know that the buck is like in the area you know he's on land that you can hunt okay that's good that's I that's that's a first step but in the example I just used prior you get to watch him stage up and then you watch him bed you know exactly where he's at there's a lot of situations where Again, what we've been dealing with as of very recent is we watch these deer go into places and you don't know exactly where they are. And we're hunting cattails specifically yeah. here. It's like they're disappearing into a sea of cattails. I mean, and, and generally, they're not going too far into these cattails that we've been hunting around just because it turns into water pretty quickly. But, they, you know, they disappear into the cattails and it's like you can't, you can't see exactly where they're at, which is not as good as, you know, just being able to pick out their tines in their bed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're always kind of second guessing yourself, but you know, as the trip went on here, it's just like, all right, every time that they, you know, we watch them disappear into the cattails, they they're there. there. Yeah, they yeah. come out the same spot the afternoon. So in that situation where you can't get that, that, you know, confirmed bedding location, let me, let me, I guess, before I keep moving forward, say this. In my opinion, the best thing you could ever find is a bedded buck. And the reason is, is he's got, you know, if you can get as close as, you know, possibly can, then the odds of him going in a direction that's out of range just decreases dramatically, right? It's like if he's inside a bow range bedded, the odds of him escaping that bed without you getting a chance is you know, goes lower and lower, right? So in a, in the perfect settings, we've been inside of 20 yards. Like when the the very best stocks we've ever had have been inside of 20 yards or inside of 30 at least once they stand up and then it's like, okay, we're already like game on. Uh-huh. But if you don't have that opportunity, there's a couple different ways it can look. I mean, there's one way is, is they go into something that like cattails like we've been saying where they're going to be in there all day and you're not going to see them you can't you can't force that like you can't see that you can't also probably crawl to within bow range and really up your odds of getting him the best thing you can do in that situation is just get closer and keep tabs on if he were to come out and move because again like we've talked about for years now bucks aren't going to just bed down and not move all day we're also not sitting here saying that in in early season setting when a buck goes into the cattails, he's going to up and just move, you know, 400 yards through the cattails, but he's probably going to get up and move throughout. That might mean he pops out and confirms even more like, okay, he's right in that spot. So a lot of times, again, the progression being, okay, you spot him, you see him disappear then you cut distance. So now your striking distance is even closer. So let's say we originally spotted a buck from 800 yards out. Then maybe middle of the day, around noon, wind picks up or something, 
you're like, all right, now let's move a little bit closer. You move a little bit closer, and then you're just basically watching to reconfirm where that thing's at. He may stand up at, you know, 2.15 and give you, you know, confirmation that, okay, that is, in fact, where they're at right now. He pops out of the cattails and just browses around for 20, 30 minutes, and he goes back in there. Mm -hmm. And in that case, then maybe you take it a step further, and you cut the distance to where you're within bow range of where he came out. Because, again, chances are he's probably going to make that similar move. He's done it today. He feels comfortable. He knows what everything smells like. He know, he's he been watching that spot pretty much. And this story is basically we're kind of making up the story of what we probably should have done. Because yeah. 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 <laughs> we, we had terrain to work with, so we figured we'd just try to cut this buck off from going up to the field and we'd be able to move on him you know based off which trail that he picked but we also knew right where he went into the cattails so we ended up i think we were about 70 yards away from where he cut out and we were just hoping you know we could kind of jockey our way back and forth when he started to go up to feed and he just he's he snuck around us and as soon as that happened it's just like damn we should have been like (laughs) within 30 yards of where he went out because he i mean literally the exact same trail that he walked in on he came popping out on it's like you can hear him stand up out of his bed in the cattails and start crashing through him that was just i mean that was i think you had two plays there that could have happened you had the safe play which was to take that that path and use that terrain which is what we did it's safe because it gives you multiple options and you can move or the other play is you just put all your money in the bank and you just go get within 30 yards of that spot where he dove in there and hope that he comes out of that same exact spot which he did yeah we should we definitely Um, should have done that and i feel like that's something like when i look back on unsuccessful hunts that you know whether i'm hunting filming it's all the same in my book it's like the 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 things that like you almost always do your best when you're the most aggressive uh-huh. i mean it's just well, like i think we've i've said it the day we were going after that hybrid buck is just like <laughs> i don't want to not go far enough and then regret that you know uh-huh. so let's just you know get over there then i think that's something i'm always trying to do but in that situation for whatever reason we decided to sit back a little bit just well i mean part of the reason was because it worked so well yeah. a couple nights yeah. prior we I had think, a, i mean i think the strategy works it's just that what we did works we just didn't take that extra step to be that much yeah. more aggressive and the thing we is we had the wind noise and the, the mm-hmm. wind direction Conditions. where we, we could have pretty easily really got down in there within the, 40 yards of them the 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 opportunity a couple of days prior fit the the safe play better Mm -hmm. because we didn't know exactly where that Mm -hmm. buck went in we just knew there was a buck or a couple bucks in that small vicinity Mm -hmm. where the within probably like what 100 or 200 yards yeah within 100 yards i was looking at him from probably a mile out and i knew that one of them was like you know i could see a frame from that far away and the other one looked bigger body but other than that we didn't really know too much about him we just know knew the patch of yellow flowers that they kind of were feeding through Mm -hmm. and we Got close to that up up above them, and sure enough, they just like popped up right down below us in the cattails. You could hear them yep. all stand up right down there throughout the night. So that not knowing exactly where he's laying, that safe play that was better for that. But knowing where that one was laying, yep. You know, you knew the hole he went into. The aggressive play, and hindsight, which is always twenty twenty, is would have been to just jump down in there and get right on the edge of it, and then yeah, that's a good point. Just shoot him right. So. I think we we you'd mentioned the hybrid buck and for people listening that's our nickname for this buck that we hunted that he was hanging with two muley 
does, or a muley doe and a muley fawn, and then two white-tail does. And he was definitely a white-tail, but he he just like <laughs> had he had some characteristics that made him look fairly mule deer-ish. So we called him the hybrid. And he dog. was interacting with the mule deer does. Like <laughs> I was watching him, and another one we got. Yeah, I mean, we were we'll tell the, we'll t- we can tell the story of that because I think that has uh-huh. a good progression. Well, you guys be able to watch it all too, but I got I think I got footage of a mule deer doe just like grooming him off in his bed. <laughs> Pretty weird. He's <laughs> a little confused, but we ended up on that hunt. I think is a cool classic progression. We went to an area we could see a lot, getting that vantage which we had planned the night before. We knew we'd be able to mm-hmm. see there. You're looking at the train. You're saying, okay, we can see this, that, and whatever. And then the plan was, if that didn't work, we were going to move. So we were going to move to those plan B and C, um, which is basically in that situation just holding one ele- higher elevation and just working down it, looking into things, into terrain at a different angle. And I've become more and more a fan of that, I guess, recently. That's why I've been asking that question a lot. I mean, that's like, what you were doing when you shot that one yep. in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I mean, Had he, I not got up and moved, yeah. I would have never even known he existed. And I think that, you know, it would have been fine to stay where we were. We were obviously on bucks and we were going to see them. But, yeah, if I would have not moved, we wouldn't have had that, like, really great, really our best opportunity, one of our best opportunities ever. It was uh-huh. just we knew exactly where he was. But anyway, back to the hybrid buck, we were moving down that terrain, glassing at different angles. And I also think this is, you know, important. We knew there were bucks in this vicinity. We had been seeing bucks. The morning started super slow. And I bet you it wasn't till 930 that we spotted that buck, yeah. 9, 930. And all of a sudden he appears in some terrain where you know, prior, whether it be from our angle or just, you know, his angle or, you know, where he was within the terrain for whatever reason, we couldn't see him. Then all of a sudden, boom, there he is. Now we're super far away from him. We're like a mile away and we watch him as long as we can. We get a bead on where he last went. And then we actually had to drive because it was going to be faster to drive than to walk. We're going to drive all the way to a different access point. We hike in and then we sneak our way to where we last saw him. Once we get to that point, it's just kind of like, well, there's no point in going any further until we reconfirm where he's at. So in those situations, there's other, you know, there's clues that we're looking for. Obviously, you know, when you're making your move in, you're trying to look for potential bedding locations. So whatever the typical bedding habitat is in that area, you're you're making note of those options. So I really like to focus my glassing really, really specifically on those spots. So if I've got binos or a spotter, I'm just picking apart every little nook and cranny within that to try to see a deer. You're not just looking for necessarily him, but, you know, a small buck or a doe. In this situation, we know this hybrid buck was hanging out with these other does. We, we had established that at this point. So we're not just looking for him. We're also looking for other clues of other deer. And on our way in there... We actually watched deer kind of do some weird move, some weird scramble where I think they were just going to water, I think is what they were doing. In the middle of the day, they just made a move to water. But we noticed three of the does moved up and out of the bedding area where we thought he may be. And then we noticed one went back into that bedding area. So we're like, well, there's a decent chance he's just in that spot. So 
this is a point where we're talking middle of the day, probably 11 to 1 time frame, probably, roughly. And we just hung out and just watched that spot because we're looking for that confirmation of where he's at. Because, again, in an ideal situation, we're going to know exactly where this thing's bedded or within 20 or 30 yards of where he's bedded. Yeah, we're looking at this little 30 by 30 pocket, basically. And yep. if he if he pops out of that and then goes back in there, we know he's in that 30-yard circle at least. So we sat there completely committed to him being in there. Well, we knew he was in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we knew he was in there so well that all of a sudden we're like, ooh, here comes the does. They're coming running back. <laughs> they come running in there, and I don't know. It might have even been 10 minutes. But at least five, there's this break, and we're like, oh, he's definitely in there now. Like, oh, man, he's in there. And all of a sudden, here he comes running in out of, like, I don't know how he got out of this area to where we didn't know it, but all of a sudden he comes running back in there, and he goes right into the pocket that we thought he was in originally. And it's like, well... He wasn't there, but now he is, so we're good. <laughs> but, but again, I think that I do think that's important that we, because you don't know when you lose them. I think it's super important to just cut that distance and then hang out. This is a whole, really the one main point I'd like to make throughout this entire podcast is like if you don't know exactly where he is, you kind of just got to be patient. You don't have to be. You don't have to be by any means. There's not one way to do it. I think our preference is is to hang loose, give it some time, and get generally. to a spot where you think you should see him if he gets up. Yeah. Like make your best guess at where you think he's laying down, and get to a vantage where you can see that, and mm-hmm. just start picking it apart. So then, without giving you guys too many details of the stalk, we don't now know he's in there, and we cut the distance all the way to where we were within bow range of where he was bedded. So. We won't give you too many of those details yet. You can watch video. He's a beautiful 10-pointer, too. You might want to check it out. <laughs> Real pretty. Coming up soon. Filmed embedded there for two, three hours there. This is kind of off topic, but kind of still is. But to the, like, just saying, you know, if you know where he goes, or if you don't know, you know, stick around until you can find out. Mm-hmm. If if you're willing to do that, just make sure, you, you know, you put yourself in position where you can do that. Speaking of water food mm-hmm. things you're going to need to comfortably sit you know sit there and wait on one for five six hours until you see him however long that is and if you're in a group like we were you know if you can work it to where somebody can you know run and go do that and bring yeah. those things up well that's what i was gonna say not everybody has a snack packer <laughs> <laughs> we had we had nick who like that's our know. marine just always being prepared for everything <laughs> just taking come, care of the boys he'd come running in with backup food and whatever and that definitely makes a big difference so like some things that happen like during the rut too like this is a completely different we've been focused pretty heavily on early season like i like to use the that term clues like what are some things that are making you feel more confident that he's in fact in there you know it's like you'll see deer make a move for example and they'll move in out in a direction and then a lot of times You've probably heard us talk about, like, whether he's spooked or he's moving. We're just looking at the map saying, what's the next best bedding location that he could be at? So we pick that spot, and then we move close to where we can kind of keep an eye on it. So sometimes that looks like just a thick patch of willows or, you know, something that you can't see into. So no matter what you do, you're not going to get a visual unless he's making a move. So you're kind of waiting for him to make that move. But, you know... Other cues, like during the rut, would be a small buck 
poking around the yeah, edge of that. Yeah, as you say, just in. other deer in general. Like, pay attention to the whole herd if you're looking at one buck. Because even like that late October hunt we had last year with that eight pointer that crossed the river, we saw mm-hmm. the doe long before we saw him. But it's just mm-hmm. like, well, she's acting kind of yep. sus, as the kids are saying <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's exactly an exact example of like just knowing that okay we're here we're in a good spot let's just keep an eye on this for a little bit she comes in and now it's like okay uh-huh. who else is is that like uh-huh. it's got to be the buck that he was with uh-huh. i just think i just think that that's something that we're so much i feel like we're so much better at than what we ever were before where it was like oh they went in this direction let's just go get in there it's like a lot of times there's a lot of daylight left you know you're looking at your clock and you're like man i got hours and hours to work with and in the hunts that i feel that i've been a part of that we're most successful with we use the daylight that it's that it takes to be successful like we just hit a point where it's like you know what we got time we can be patient or we can check off these other options that it's like okay maybe they're here maybe they're not or, or I guess let's put it this way. Maybe they're here, but we really think that they're here. Let's go just check these off. We got time to go make sure that they're not in these places before we get to that next spot. So I just think, you know, being patient within the stock. And, and again, it comes back to like there's certain situations, especially early season, where if they go bury themselves in a bedding area and you don't know exactly where that is, you can get closer. So you cut that distance. You keep eyes on it. And then, you know, ideally he gets up and shifts in a position where you know exactly where he is and you can get within bow range. But if not, as the evening progresses, it's like, okay, well, he's in there. I never saw him leave this. I'm just going to go get as close as possible on a trail that I think he might be using and just play it that way. You know, I think that's another great option to just end up getting tight, which again is what we talked about, what we should have done a few days ago, but we didn't. Mm -hmm. And we also, but another thing about that is, I think Nick saw bucks. I mean, there were several times that we saw bucks coming up out of this area throughout the trip. Nick saw one come up out of there the night before. So you and I mm-hmm. went around to get an an angle where we could actually see where they went to lay down. Like mm-hmm. from where from where we had been watching from, you can see them going up to these private land fields, but you can't see them when they're coming, you know, back and getting down low where they're about to bed down. But that day we got on their side with them where we could glass and actually get a real good pinpoint on them too. So that's that's always something to keep in mind too is just getting a different angle or closer or a different angle on, you know, how you can see them lay down the next day in an early season situation where you can more so count on them being in the same on the same pattern, I'd say. Yeah. I think one one important factor of that is like reading topo. Honestly, like in super open flat generally flat country, I'm paying as much about attention to topo in those situations as I am in a hill country setting because that vantage point is going to allow you to see stuff. Like there was the one spot that we kept hunting um, where it was like pretty flat and we didn't have the same, or we kept glassing. I guess we never really hunted it all that much. I guess you guys did that one night, but um, up there where we saw the wildlife population control specialist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we met this guy that had a card that said that. Wildlife population control specialist. We thought that was pretty neat. He was retired. That was his new title. <laughs> That's what I want to be when I retire. Yeah. But up in that spot, from where we were glassing, we never had enough terrain necessarily to 
keep really good eyes on deer. Mm-hmm. Like we'd see them, but then they'd disappear. And it's like, man, I don't know if they're going, you know, a hundred yards, if they're going 400 yards. And when you don't have that terrain to work with, you know, it can be more challenging. Not to say that you can't hunt those spots. Like obviously there's just some places that just are flat and you can't, you know, maybe flat open country, but you know, the one situation where I would like to get back up into a tree is not necessarily to set up the shoot, but like to set up the glass. Uh-huh. You know, I think in some situations, some parts of the country, some, you know, public areas or whatever, the, whatever, whatever land you may be hunting, and that, that might be the best option. A lot of CRP fields and stuff, you get up into a tree, you can see them. Now you've pinpointed exactly where they're at. And especially if you can do that from a super safe distance, it, it all plays back into that vantage thing. So like number one in the first step is find your vantage. Number two is ideally spot something. Number three is cut distance to reconfirm. And and throughout any of this, if you see him bed, cut ties with everything and get to him. <laughs> I mean, like that's the that's the the most ideal situation. Now, I'll throw you a little curveball and one that I think about all the time is uh variable wind and i still don't know that i have an answer for it but the one that i think of is um we were in the buck nest a few years ago and a couple years ago whatever you call that two years ago and we spotted a big buck we knew exactly where he was we watched him bed back down we started cutting distance and we ended up getting like 22 yards yeah we were dang close to him like we knew he was right there and the wind started kind of just floating a little weird at that point. Or, you know, earlier in the day, I feel like it was just kind of rising. Yeah, it was and then, calm and started to pick up and started to get a little variable. And, you know, if you could go back and do that again, what do you do differently? You know, or like how do you play, again, that plays into this topic of timing of the stock. Like what, what do you do differently there? Do you just wait for, you know... Do you just kind of lay out in the field at 60 yards and just, you know, let the wind get consistent? Is that yeah, the best? but uh, who knows in, down there if it ever even gets consistent, mm-hmm. you know? So I think sometimes you just, I mean, just ain't going to work out. I mean, it's just going to be a matter of if, luck, they, if they get timing. up on their feet by the time the wind swirls, really. It's mm-hmm. just like I always look at it as you're on a, you're on a, some sort of, what are, the, what are those little clocks that you flip over? Yeah, the glass yeah. clock. Basically, you have one of those every time you're within 30, 40 yards of a deer, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes it lasts longer than others, but at some point the wind, in most situations, unless you're in like pretty flat terrain, it's going to it's gonna do something weird. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a possibility for it to do something weird, but that's where like, you know, condition-based too, like we talk about that a lot where this plays into the timing of the progression. Okay. So we've talked about the vantage, the spot, and then that moving in. A lot of times I feel like we really like to do that moving in and that distance cut. Not until, you know, we've seen them, we've lost track of them. We know they're in, you know, whatever pocket we know they're right there. We never saw them leave that. Then we start kind of screwing around. We eat some food, whatever we just kind of pack everything up slowly and then by that time you know we're talking 10 11 o'clock the wind starts picking up and that plays a lot in my opinion into when i want to make the moves 
is whether that wind's blowing or not. And there's some days where, like, we're sitting outside right now, and it's that time, 10, 11 o'clock. It's like, you don't really have much wind. Today would not be a great day to know exactly where one's bedded. But on the other hand, when we killed the one together in 2020 in North Dakota, that wind was howling by this time. Early in the morning, it was dead calm. It was real nice. But by that point in the day, it was just howling, one direction, consistent. And I think that, you know, in an ideal world, you're making your final moves while that wind's still up. Because that'll also change, you know, so much throughout the day, and that'll change how easy it is to get close to one. It's like, deer are really good at hearing you. And while they may be pretty passive about it for a while, at some point they're going to start getting curious. And that doesn't mean they're going to just straight blow out of there, but they might come looking. And if you're mid-crawl and they're coming looking, that's not a good place to be. If he's standing over top of you looking at you, it's not fun. We've been there. But I just think that that has a big play in it too. So again, knowing exactly where one is is the ideal situation because then you can just let that condition get right, and then you make that move right now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything to do in, differently in the rut time that comes to mind? I mean, anything that would change that? I think one thing that I've... Knowing where the doe is, knowing mm-hmm. where other deer are, but that's, I mean, that could be the same for early season when mm-hmm. the bats are up. That's also important just to keep tabs on where everything else is in relation to whatever the target animal is, I guess. I think that is a good point. We, we do spend a fair amount of time looking for other deer, too. It's like, even, you know, in a situation, okay, you bet him down, you know exactly where he is. It's like, it never hurts to take a little extra time to really glass hard around him, especially from the route that you're looking to go. Yeah. Or, you may have to wait on that timing. This is where, again, every situation is going to be a little bit different. Here's a good one. Buck that I stalked in... New York a couple years ago. I had one direction planned because I knew that the satellite buck was bedded somewhere because I had seen him stand up. I knew he was bedded somewhere on the route that I really wanted to take. Well, it just so happened that before I made that move, I saw him get up and move out of that bed. Well, now there's a window for me to get in the actual spot that I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So I made the move and it was and it was much easier to do it that way. I had shadow, I had the wind, at a perfect crosswind, which is another somewhat preferred thing. It's definitely not every deal, but you know, if you can have a crosswind, a lot of times they're looking with the wind at their back, so you're basically approaching them where their head's not facing. If you got a wind right at their back, a lot of times they're looking straight down downwind of them. And if that, if you're just straight crawling in there, it's like, you know, you're looking right at their eyes the whole time. Mm-hmm. But then, um, yeah, just looking for the other deer. And then, um, one thing I was going to say too, during the rut that I think is interesting is like, keep in mind that, that at that time frame, when he sees you, he's not going to immediately think danger. He thinks that's another buck. Like, Especially if you're close to them, because mm-hmm. they're it almost seems like they're just like, well, no way something got this close to me without me knowing it. Yeah, no way danger got this close. Yeah. It's like they just automatically assume it's another deer. Like I stalked one; it was the one that I hit in 2019 high, and then Greg killed with the muzzleloader later that year. So we knew exactly where he was 
we kept getting up to this vantage point where we could see a bunch down into a river bottom. And every day that we went back there, we saw a different buck bedded with a doe. So it was like, it wasn't a matter of like, if they were going to be there, it was just a matter of like, how good of a spot's he going to be in? How easy is it going to be to get to him? And this was the third day of doing that. And we got back there and this buck was laying up against some water with a doe. And there was a ditch that I was able to take the inside of like the river. And Grant and I did this part together. And then it got to a point where Grant was about 60 yards from him. And I'm cut another 30 yards by taking this little side creek channel. And when I got to him, like I slid up on the bank and I kind of scooted one butt cheek at a time up the bank. Just like slid just slowly up there to where I always had, I did it hands free. I remember that because I did it with my hand, my bow, like ready mm-hmm. to shoot right now. So I slid my butt up that bank and I remember getting to a point where it's like, well, he's so close that he's going to see me. It's not a matter of if he's going to see me or not. It's a matter of like, you know, if I make the right moves once he does see me. It was dead. It was just wide open, just a little bit of grass that as soon as he stood up in, he was way taller than, you know. So I'm watching him, and I'm looking at his eyes, and I see him kind of do one of these. He's, like, laying there, and he kind of turns his head towards me. And I see him kind of, like, double take and just, like, who is that? And immediately stood up, hair stood up, and he postured right up to me, and I, which I figured was going to happen. So that's a rare situation where I can't remember exactly what his head was doing when I drew but I think it was a rare situation where I was like, I'm not really that worried because even a little bit of movement, he still doesn't know what's going on. And I know as long as I'm drawn, like I got a chance at him. I think I might have drawn right when he started standing up. So as he was moving, I was moving. And in that situation, he just came closer to me because he thought I was another buck. And I just didn't adjust enough for the change in distance. And I just shot him too high. But, um, yeah, I think in general, just like knowing that, you know, if you're making a stock on a buck, there's two things you can do in the rut. You can get close to him and you can decoy him or you can call to him. You know, it's like that might be a situation where, okay, he goes into a patch of stuff. You can't see him, but you know that he can't see you. That's a kind of an ideal situation, too, because you just get right up there tight to where you know he's in there somewhere. The wind's solid in your favor, and you just do a calling sequence, and he comes right out of there. It happened with you and Ted in the uh, out of the boat that time. Yep. Like, that's the one that comes right to mind. Is that's the perfect situation. Yeah, and I'm not so sure that calling at him would just work, like, pretty well at all times of the year, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of wish I had more. I was more prepared to do that here. Just because we were, I mean, there were several times where we were, had deer, you know, just out out of range. And I think, I mean, they're setting the pecking order right now. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen it throughout the week, deer posturing up to one another and not deer sparring. So I think it, I mean, you wouldn't call at them the same way, but you could definitely call at them. Mm-hmm. I wonder how that would have, that would have changed the dynamic of that hybrid buck. Mm-hmm. You know, just... Maybe instead of him popping out on the far side of that thicket, maybe that time he comes and just checks out the close side of the thicket just because you did a little call and sequence right there or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And we even talked about, like, having a decoy this time of the year. It's like there's so many positions we got ourselves into in this past week where there was um, 
enough cover with like the slight roll of of terrain but not really cover in the sense of like having that true front and back cover like in an ideal setup you got good cover to where like you basically got like some sort of vegetation that is your little natural ground blind but we didn't ever really have that. We were just working with these little folds and terrain, and I just think having something that you could put up and kind of offset from yourself, maybe put that on the like, I guess, uh, let's say, let's say you've got a crosswind. You're looking at a deer, and the wind's coming from right to left. Well, then maybe you take that decoy as a distraction and put it upwind, so you put it to your right. You stick it up above the terrain, and you drop just downwind of it. Well, maybe Mm. when he pops out, his eyes immediately go to that thing that's sticking up. You're still looking at him down low through the grass to where he can't see you yet. His attention gets focused on that, and if he makes any move towards it, he's going to circle downwind. So now you are just—you're basically parallel with your your decoy, but you're just downwind of it to where if he comes out and starts, it's the same thing we talked about doing with the pronghorn mm-hmm. that we wanted to do with the pronghorn. We ended up just ended up right behind the decoy when we shot a uh, pronghorn this season, but we were talking a lot about just using it as a distraction to set up, you know, just upwind of our position to where he would hopefully circle into it. And I think any time of the year that could work, honestly. You know, and I think you could use a buck or a doe decoy, something real small. Like we've used the heads up one. There's the Montana decoys. There's that other one that we were talking about that you can put on your bow, which might not be a good option. Just something to kind of break up uh, or just give them some visual confirmation that there's no danger. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of times that deer, like I say this all the time, a deer can't see that well. And there's a lot of times that they see you and they just assume that you're not danger. They're suspicious of what it is if they don't know that it's a deer. But there's a lot of times where they'll be looking at you, but they don't know exactly what you are. And that's why they start doing the head bob. That's why they start kind of doing the like weird stomp walk because they're trying to figure out like, hey, are you actually a deer over there? Uh-huh. And I think that if you just have that little bit of, I mean, Jake even talked about what if you just took like, essentially like the skull cap of a deer and just put it on top of your limbs just like a cut out of antlers mm-hmm. and just put it right on top of your bow limbs just as some sort of visual like cue that's like okay we're good that's something that i know i recognize uh-huh. i think that's a good option too but i might try to make something here before we get too into the thick of it here in the next couple of weeks i might try to figure out something i can just put right on the top of my bow that way you know, if we ever get pegged or, I mean, in a situation where we got to rise up and shoot something, you can just, I think you can do it more comfortably and hopefully make a better shot if you're just, like, already in a comfortable position. Yeah, you can do it confident, confident that he's not going to just blow out of there yeah. immediately. take so. more time on your shot and stuff if you got him convinced that you're a deer. Yeah, and I think anything that you could... I think, again, putting something on your bow or just offsetting, just upwind of you having that... Because I think I think in an ideal situation, he's not looking at you at all. And then if, he is, if that's the case, then you can probably just stand all the way up and shoot. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that would really help in a lot of stalking situations is just some sort of visual uh, distraction for him. But I guess you guys want to wrap this up then? Yeah, we'll go find another buck, hopefully. 
All right. Well, hopefully this helped you guys in some ways. I mean, there's a lot of detail, too, that we can go into in the future. I'd like to do more about glassing and stuff like that just for these types of situations. So if you guys are listening and you're, like, really curious about a specific topic, you know, feel free, as always, to reach out and, you know, give us some ideas because there's plenty of things that <laughs> if we got on a topic we could get going about and at least tell you our experiences trying different stuff and maybe maybe help you out in some situations. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you on the Say next Say something one. nice to the folks, Nick. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, y'all. <laughs>